phone now. Okay. <laughs> I tell you. Do this. Now, this little switch over here. Now, you got to hit this dot over here. Oh, you asked for these headphones. Oh, so how, I don't, I don't have to use these. So, anyway, how are you, sir? Right now, I'm fine. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Doctor Yeses. Really, it's uh, no a big problem. pleasure for us and for me. <laughs> so, so tell us, how did you get started? Do, actually, before we even do that, what are you doing now? Yeah, that's what I want to know too. What are you doing now? Uh, just private consulting okay. and doing some podcasts and whatnot that I want to post on my site. I, I want to change everything over to uh, podcasts rather than doing articles. People don't read anymore. No. Nope. Nope. Not at all. That, I, I do the same thing. We, we, do, we do podcasts instead of articles as well. Yeah. So how long, how long have you been out of coaching then? Well, I was never in coaching. Mm -hmm. See, all, all my life I've worked with individuals. I didn't work with teams. So, you know, there would be an athlete here, an athlete there. And see, I, I don't like working with teams. It ties me up. I can't do anything else. When I work with individuals, now I have a hand on them and then I can follow them all the way through. So like for example, uh, well, when I, when I trained uh, Todd Marinovich, for example, uh, I saw him when he was 13. And every year until he was 18, or until he made the pros and then uh, his dad didn't know me anymore. <laughs> so, uh, and are you mostly working with runners still, or is it all? No, it, it, I, I could work with any kind of an athlete. Uh, it, see, I have a biomechanics background. Mm -hmm. And the biomechanics allows me to look at movement, and I can look at the movement and tell what's effective, not effective. Well, you got to do this if you want more power. you got to do this if you need more accuracy. you got to do this if you, if you don't want to get injured. You have to do this. So, in other words, I modify and change technique or their skill execution. To me, this is the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Skill execution uh, is the key to all success in sports. You know, you can train a guy and get him strong as heck. Doesn't mean anything. Strength is not related to success. Oh, and maybe when they're kids or whatever, you know, you get the strongest kid on a team, he knocks you on your rear end all the time. But, you know, we're talking about an athlete now, a bona fide one that's been around for a few years. Uh, strength is often a detriment, but you still need it. So I'm not saying it's a waste. Uh, strength is very important, but more important is strength speed. Uh, I, don't, I don't know of any sport outside of powerlifting that relies on pure strength. All other sports rely on speed, speed of movement. Now strength is an important component. So we develop more strength, we can get more speed and explosiveness. So I use strength as a means of getting some other result. 
but I didn't want to go off on a tangent of strength. But No, uh, hey, go off oh, on whatever oh. tangent you want. We'll pull you back in <laughs> if we think it's an issue. We're, we're so excited. Okay. We, listen, you just keep dropping knowledge bombs on us. We, we love whatever you have to say, okay? What, I quote you all the time. My fa- oh. One of my favorite quotes of yours, one of my favorite quotes is, you said, strength is easy. Even the guy who cleans up the gym gets stronger. I love that quote. I've been saying that for years, ever since I heard you say, I, I have a ton. I have a ton. I'm, I'm a little fanboy of yours, by the way. Like, I'm, I, right, I love you. your stuff. Yeah, I, I started off learning all your stuff. So I'm, I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast. Talk about whatever you want. <laughs> all right. Let me, let me go back to uh, skill execution again. This seems to be the toughest thing for most people to handle. But yet, you, you take a look at all sports. A quarterback, he's got to be able to throw the ball. A baseball player, he's got to be able to hit the ball. A pitcher, he's got to be able to throw the ball. Now, if a pitcher is going to be any good, he's got to be able to throw it with speed. He's got to have something on a ball. He's got to have a change up, you know, various things. But it's all throwing related. He has to throw. That's the bottom line. So, why do we, uh, when we take a look at training, there are very few programs, if any, that use skill execution as the focal point. But see now, what I say, skill execution determines what your workout should be. See, I think most coaches work in generalities. Oh yeah, we do strength training, we do speed training, we do explosive training, we do all of this training. Have you turned out any good athletes? Oh yeah, this guy improved 300 pounds in his squat. Goody, goody gumdrops, so what? <laughs> uh, I don't mean to be facetious here, but uh, see, it's, you have to have the skill. If you're not improving the skill, you're not doing your job. So, Dr. Yesis, in terms of this, when you're developing someone's skill, do you go more like of a parts approach? Do you like to take the, the, the global technique and then break it down into sections and then put it all back together? Or what's your philosophy? Um, it really depends upon the athlete and what I see. But the bottom line is when I look at an athlete, I need a film clip. And then I look at the film. Uh, maybe, you know, I just look at regular speed. So it gives me an idea of what they're doing. Then I look more specifically at every joint action. And I know from years of experience, because I've been doing this about 50, 60 years, a long time, but it's enough time to learn, you know, what's involved. See, when I look at a skill, I've developed a good understanding of what's involved in that skill execution. What are the key actions? What, what must every athlete do? So you take a quarterback or a pitcher, they all do the same thing, basically. Oh, they have, you know, a stride. Uh, they have hip rotation, they have shoulder rotation. They have, you know, medial rotation in the arm and so on. But how they're executed is the key. So I take a look at, uh, here's a pitcher. Uh, he had Tommy John. Uh, surgery. 
Well, if he goes back to pitching again, he's going to get injured again because they did not change his technique. When you get an injury, it's because of how you do it. It's related to your skill execution. So by having a good background in this, I can analyze what they're doing. But I don't just analyze it like you have programs available today, good programs uh, that analyze and break down technique. Look at these, this is what you do here, this is what they do there, this is what they do there. But the one thing they don't do, if you find a movement, which one is not effective? How can I make it more effective? How can I injury proof that athlete? I can do this all through analysis of their skill. So when I determine uh, an action, a joint action, uh, let's say if it's a pitcher, you know, quarterback or a baseball pitcher, does he have good hip rotation? And most often I find the hips ro rotate together with the shoulders. So that's not effective. So then I know, well, the first thing we have to do is separate the two ashes. And then, and this is what's unique, I think, on my part, I use specialized strength exercises. This is new. And I don't know your backgrounds if you're familiar with these, but in essence, it's an exercise, a strength exercise, that duplicates the neuromuscular pathway that's used in the skill execution. So in other words, every pitcher has to execute this movement to get maximum efficiency. Then that strength exercise must also develop strength in the same range of motion as used in execution of the skill. <clears throat> now this is critical. See, now you take a look at most strength training programs. Uh, uh, okay, yeah, the uh, hip rotation, or let's say the knee drive, that, that's a little, little better. The knee drive is a key action in running. And where, where, the, where does it start? What starts when the leg is behind the body, then the leg is driven forward. Now the typical strength exercise for the hip, hip flexors is to be standing in one place and raising the knee directly up. It develops the hip flexors, but not in the range that we wanted. See, and this is how I separate them and isolate them. So once I have the athlete doing it with the leg behind the body, it's completely different from raising the thigh up. We don't want to raise the thigh up. The only time we raise the thigh up when strengthening the hip flexors is when he's a basketball player or wants to jump higher. Because when you're jumping higher, you want to drive the knee up. So uh, back to our strength exercise, there's a third criterion and that's having the same type of muscular contraction. Is it explosive action? Is it a strength action? Uh, it's an endurance action, whatever it is. So we have to satisfy these three, not simultaneously, but as we make progress. So how do you, how do you 
distinguish the difference between hip rotation and let's say excessive lumbar rotation, right? Because sometimes guys' hips are locked up and then the lower back will take, will take the Let brunt me, of that. All right, I have to ask you a question. You lost me when your hips are locked up. I don't understand what that means. I hear the term all the time. Okay. So if you have guys who's, let's say their hip flexors or their abductors or even their back leg adductors are tight, it restricts rotation of the hips. And then it makes it, it forces the body to become more reliant on lumbar rotation and some kind of transverse abdominus work to recruit rather than, rather than getting force deriving from the hips. Uh, all right. See, they're, they're, the hips are tricky. And the reason I say this is that it could be the hip joint muscles that rotate the hips, or it could be the abdominals and lower back that rotate the hips. Mm -hmm. Typically, the abdominals and lower back come into play when you're hanging and you want to rotate the hips. But when you're standing, your feet are in contact with the ground, it is only the hip joint muscles. Mm -hmm. The uh, abdominals do not come into play. Now, if you have good hip rotation, the hips are turning, then you can get a good stretch of the abdominals and, mm -hmm. and the lumbar. Mm -hmm. But they are now involved in shoulder rotation. See, so you want one action to set up the muscles for the next action. That's why the hip rotation is so critical, and it must be with the hip joint muscles. Yeah. Yes, agreed. Um, now, how, how do you distinguish – actually, how about this? Going back to your biomechanics background – what, what did you learn as, I, I guess you can say as a biomechanical truth, right? Because there's so many things that I learned back in school and, and all these things that, that kind of, I don't know, they, they just don't hold any weight anymore, right? What, what have you learned in, in your biomechanics background that, is, that seems to be a constant for you? Because there's, there's things that we learn about angles and vectors and then all of a sudden, it's, yeah, it, it just doesn't apply in certain situations. What, what have you learned that is a truth? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I, I think, I don't know if it's really answering your question, Mike, but it's uh, the lack of understanding of the skills. I see many studies that bring out all this information and studies that are being done right now. And I don't like using names, but I'm, I am going to use one <laughs> now because it's so prevalent and so wrong. Uh, that's why I must do it. It's weigh-in. I don't know if you ever heard of the weigh-in study. Mm -hmm. He was at Harvard. So everybody looked up to him. Oh, this is a great, uh, uh, study and it was on runners and he brought it he was talking all about force production vertical force production where in the world do you want it why do you want vertical force production and how they even found it is beyond me 
but they had the wrong assumption in their mind. And, and they're still doing studies even today. Somebody sent me one on, uh, they've come along a little bit. Now they talk about hip angular rotation, which is great. But then they still confuse it. They don't know what it is to bring the leg back. <laughs> so the lack of understanding, these studies are being done, but they don't understand what they're looking at. And they come up with some uh, illogical or some thought and then they stick with it and you can't break through to them to tell them, no, this is erroneous. Mm -hmm. See, now a sprinter, a world-class sprinter, his center of gravity, when he's running at full speed, deviates only four centimeters this much up and down that's all there is and here we have this discussion about all these vertical forces how can you have vertical forces if he's only going up and down four centimeters see what I mean it it, it just blows my mind and uh, too many coaches not the same but they're still in the dark ages where they all believe that talent is born. Athletes are born. They're not made. It's really the opposite. Athletes are made. They're not born. There's no such thing as an athlete being born to be a great pitcher or a great basketball player or a great whatever. Impossible. Everything is learned. We learn how to run. We're all born with the rudiments of many of these things. So sure, you can see it, everybody, you can run, but how effectively? So that's why we need training in running. We need training in jumping and so on. Uh, but uh, it's another negative I'm gonna bring out again. You take a look at our physical education profession and I'm part of it. I was a physical, physical educator a good part of my life. They're still in the dark ages. Oh, everybody knows how to run. What are you doing any work on it? I couldn't get classes when I was teaching at the university. I wanted to have classes dealing with running, jumping, where the kids would actually have to analyze, do exercises, then see how they can improve. So we need more open minds of coaches, uh, like for example, I can prevent Tommy John surgery. See, I'm not bragging. It, 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 to me, it's simple. It's just like, hey, how do I prevent ACL injuries? That's simple. Everything is simple when you understand and you know. If you don't know it, man, that, that's tough. That's hard. <laughs> But when you can do it, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mike. I'm, I'm a breaker. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you then. <clears throat> Just going quickly back to, you know, athletes are made and not born. How well do you see, um, I mean, you hear all the time, you know, up to the age of maybe seven or 14, the neuroplasticity in the brain changes. Are you still, do you still manage to have great effects with, with elderly population as well in terms of changing the biomechanics? 
when you say elderly. Or a bit more advanced, let's say. Let's say adult, mature, mature athletes. Um, everything is the same, but with mature athletes, it takes longer. If I want to make changes or you know, help them in any which way, it's tougher for them. But it can be done. But with the young ones, when they're like 12, 13, 14, oh, these are great ages for learning all about the technique, learning how to run better, jump better, and so on. Uh, but see, see our, our whole system uh, of athletic development is based on playing. Playing is the worst way in the world to improve an athlete. Playing is good for developing strategy. How do I become, uh, uh, what do I do, you know, when players here and a player's there and they're going to, you know, that's great. You learn that through playing and the tactics. Coach tells them, hey, we're going to be a speed team. We're going to be doing this. So that's all great. But they don't get faster in their running. Mm -hmm. They don't get faster in their hitting or, or more powerful. See, none of their skills improve. See, that's what frustrates me. And we do this, you know, all these, uh, what do they call them, sports? The sports leagues that have these big centers all over the United States where you see 20 soccer fields there. And like the AAU tournaments and stuff? Yeah, yeah. See, and, I, I cringe when I see that. Yeah all this great talent but nobody's developing it we're just playing it and they think that these guys are going to be uh, world-class performers in a couple, couple of years and the parents are at fault on this too yeah i want my kid playing i want him being good see parents need education yeah but we've gone so far overboard with the playing aspect uh, we don't look at the training. I've, t I've told some uh, parents, look, what do you spend a year? Some of them spend well over a hundred grand. And that's not chicken feed. I said, look, for half that price, or even less, you're giving to me for one year, and he's going to be a hell of a lot better the following year than he'll ever be if he just kept playing. They look at me like I'm nuts. What are you doing? Dr. Yes, Dr. yes is how much individual variation is there? Because I'm, I hear one of the arguments is, is that everybody has a different anatomy and that they, they're going to move in their own way. And the argument for this plane is that they're going to figure it out. But is there a perfect way to move? And is that what we're aiming towards? A perfect way for every athlete. Yeah, so those statements are true. But the key is, the deviations are not that great. Uh, sure, all athletes are different. They're all going to execute differently, mainly because they execute the movements differently or through a different range of motion. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say here's the runner with the knee drive. Some runners, boy, go straight in front. Other runners a little bit out to the side. Other yeah. runners a little bit to the inside. See, some open up the, uh, the leg to extend it a little bit before the other guy. 
So we all do the same thing, but we all do it differently. And thus, we all look differently. Uh, but the key elements are still there. And if some of these movements are excessive or detrimental, then we have to change them. And we need more use of specialized strength exercises to do this. See, and this is what we, we don't have. Uh, so at what age would you start implementing specialized strength exercises? Because I'm seeing it with baseball now, and we have kids. I have kids that are 14 years old throwing 90 miles an hour, and I tell them that's a recipe for disaster. I think that's – yes. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I think they're doing far too much specialization and not, not enough general exercises to support the structure. Uh, that could very well be. Uh, and here again, it depends upon the athlete. If he has good technique and effective technique and has a good foundation, then he can do it. But see, most athletes don't have a good foundation. Yeah. And, and let me back up on that. Uh, see, now I developed the 1 by 20 strength training program. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with that. Oh, I love it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah. All right. So now that program is for a foundation. Now, what do I mean by foundation? It means that every athlete, when they first get started, if you wanna be an athlete, you have to make sure that the muscles and joints are all strong. So you have to develop all the muscles around the ankle, around the knee, around the hip, and you take a look at each one of these joints, like, uh, you got to do at least four, five exercises for the hips, two to three for the knees, uh, four for the ankle, and for the midsection, at least three for the abdominals, two for the lower back, shoulder. See, now look at all these exercises. So that's why with the one by 20, with only one set, we can do over 20 exercises in one session. Yeah. See, without excess fatigue, and, and it really blew my mind after I had a few coaches doing this, uh, the initial results, they were getting greater strength in comparison to guys doing a HIT program or you know using high intensity. So all athletes have to get this foundation. It allows you then to do all of these other things. Yes. See, that's the key. You need the found, it's like building a house. How can you have a good strong house if you don't have a good foundation? Uh, so even on the adult level, because I've had success from college uh, athletes. And then that really surprised me. But I said, you know what that means? These college athletes don't have a good foundation. And this is why they get susceptible to injury. So when they go on a program, or maybe one cycle, eight to 12 weeks, and then, you know, they do the 14s and eights. Uh, now they have a good foundation. They don't have to do it anymore. See, now they can just do the specificity of their sport. But this is why almost all athletes should start with it. 
And you'll never come back and start again, you know, no at the end of the season. No need. No. It, it will hold. Right. Now, if it falls and uh, the athlete doesn't do anything or whatever, then sure, then we go back to it. But typically, I found you don't have to. But for the younger ones, for the young kids, uh, 12, 13, 14, they can stay on that program for three years or yes. four years. Yeah. Yep. That's, yeah. Yeah. See, it's all building that foundation. Get that good foundation, good base. Now the kid could can succeed. But if he's just going to be playing, oh yeah, he'll get some success for a while. But eventually he crashes, mm -hmm. uh, and that's the pity of it. We get too many athletes, uh, like in baseball. I, I cringe. Every time I hear of another pitcher undergoing Tommy John, that means they're not looking at technique. No. They just play him. I, I have a pitcher who, who actually started getting some Tommy John symptoms. And I said to him, I said, send me video. So what do, what do these guys do? These, they think that by giving themselves poor mechanics, it's going to make them more deceptive. So this guy dropped his arm angle and stepped across his body. Caused lower back, yeah. But he's like, hey, it hides the ball longer and it gives me more movement. I said, I said let's say it does. At what cost? Yeah. Yeah, it's the things that some of these people do and, and the coaches, we really need good coach education in this country, which we don't have. The clinics and these various sports and whatnot, I won't say they're worthless, but they're not looking at technique. I don't know of, of any clinic uh, or even any university that deals with skill analysis. But, and if I didn't say this before, it's a skill execution that sets up your training program. See, and maybe this is what's missing. We don't define what kind of conditioning or training we're doing. Are you training to make a better athlete? Are you training to get stronger? Uh, are, you, are you training to be more fit? See, each of these is different. And we don't ask these questions. A typical gym, like I, I hear these uh, coaches rave about, hey, look at this facility we just developed. Or we just got this facility. We got umpteen bench press stations. We got umpteen squat stations. And, you know, all the, hey, great. What the hell are they going to do with it? See, I, I only going to be looking for strength. We have to be looking at what kind of program we want here. Do you want to develop a better athlete? If it's a better athlete, your training has to be this way. If you want training for strength, your program is this way. If you want more of whatever, your training is this way. We have to separate the training according to our objectives. See, these are not being done. 
So now, oh, go Brooker. My bad, go. bro. Sorry. Okay. Now I always assume that when the technique is, let's say, textbook, it's flawless for someone that we're gonna, you know, stay away from unnecessary chronic injuries. Now, is there ever a time where that's incorrect? Like the better the execution of the skill, we're gonna damage the body? No, not if it's done effectively. Uh, effective execution of a skill should never injure and will never injure the athlete. It's the incorrect execution that leads to injury. See, and uh, over the years, I mentioned the pitcher. What I see happening with pitching and maybe it's my age that allows me to do this. When I was pitching, way back when, uh, and when you take a look at pitchers, let's say in the 80s, maybe 90s, the pitching was different than it is today. Today, they rely more on the arm and upper body. In the old days, it was more on getting a whole body involved. Like, uh, you ever hear a preacher row? He goes back many years. He was a short, relatively short guy, played for the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers, a pitcher. I used him as my, in my classes as an example of very effective technique. And he threw in the 90s. Uh, now you, you compare his technique to today's technique, and you won't even recognize them. See, they've changed that drastically. Today is all arm and upper body. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why I think we're seeing so many injuries. I, uh, I, I don't disagree, actually, with that. Um, uh, another, I think Dr. Uh, I, I can't believe his name is escaping me. Um, he's, he's the big doctor down, he does all the surgeries down in Alabama. Um, oh, yeah, in Birmingham, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you didn't say that, I went blank too. Well, anyway, he did, he did research years ago and saying if you're 16 years or younger and you throw 90 miles an hour, you have a 95% chance, hey, Dr. Andrews, you have a 95% yeah, 90, chance, I believe, of tearing your UCL. So I, I also, I kind of intentionally hold my youngsters back from performing special exercises because in my eyes, they're going to throw hard. We have, there, there's a ton of, by the way, they are utilizing uh, over-under training for baseball right now with weighted balls. Um, and they, they have been bastardizing, bastardizing Bondarchuk's principles. It's, no, 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 not, not his. Um, it goes back before him. With, with, was it with javelin throwers? No, it was shot putters. It was shot putters? It started with shot putters. It was just a few grams over and under. Yes. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I introduced that concept uh, into the United States. Yep. In fact, there was a guy in Hawaii who did a lot of research on him. Yeah, we worked together for a while. Uh, yeah, but that, that was good stuff. See, we, 
this should only be done with higher level athletes, not youngsters. And that's the issue. Everyone has a velocity program now, and all these kids are throwing super hard, but they have no right to do it because they, right. have, they have not earned the right to do that because they don't have the requisite physical fitness. Some of these kids can't do push-ups, and they're trying to throw 90 miles an hour. Are you kidding me? Yeah. See, it's this concept of being a great performer. The, and, and, and we should think in terms of, hey, first be a great athlete, then be a performer. The, and most people don't even know what an athlete, uh, what a great athlete means. You know, it, it, it's a person who has mastered all of the basic skills, who knows how to run well, knows how to jump, knows how to throw. He can do all of these things. He can cut. Uh, he can speed up. He can accelerate, decelerate. Uh, we don't teach these things. We only teach the sport. Yeah. And, and that's, I, so at my facility, I own a gym and I train a ton of professional athletes. And one of the reasons why, and I happen to usually get veterans. And one of the reasons why I get veterans is because my, my, programming is very vanilla for them because these guys in my eyes a lot of them don't know how to accelerate properly they don't know how to decelerate properly they don't know how to change direction they can barely manipulate their own body weight efficiently so i bring them all the way back to square one teach them all these things keep it as a constant in their program postseason, and it reduces injuries drastically just oh, by doing, sure. just by doing simple things that no right. one wants to do. Yeah, Mike, you might appreciate this if you, if you didn't already know it. Uh, I worked with uh, me and other people. Uh, the strength coach at uh, Michigan State uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, he's not there anymore, but he was using all these principles and the training. He was a uh, D1 school. He didn't have any injuries in football. No injuries three years in a row. Now, where do you find another school that does that? But see, you do it the right way, you don't get the injuries. Now, there were contact injuries, but there were fewer and they were less severe. <clears throat> but uh, yeah. It, it's amazing. So technically, like a <clears throat> you know a return to play program or something like that, that doesn't necessarily need to exist if there was someone that understood the sports skill and could just transition them from, say, it was a an acute injury rather than a, than a chronic injury, a non-contact related injury. They should just be able to smoothly go back in to executing their sports skill at a competition level, right? rather than sort of go through these very fixed physical therapy programs, which might not be resolving the underlying issue. Yeah, physical, yeah. physical therapy is good as far as it goes. But it, all it does is bring the athlete back to a point where he can't play again. 
but it does not solve the problem of preventing the injury from happening again. See, for that, you need analysis of the skill. You have to understand what's involved, make the corrections in some of the joint actions. Now you can prevent the injury. And of course, being able to identify them. Uh, I gotta tell you a short little story. I worked with uh, Troy Green, and I don't know if you recall, Tim Green who played with the Falcons. Uh, I think he was All-American at Syracuse, but he was all, league, all pro or something like that when he was with the uh, Falcons. Anyway, it was his son. He had Tommy John surgery. After the surgery, uh, he started throwing again. Had pain, pain in the elbow. And, you know, Tim Green knew everybody and his brother <laughs> in the football world. And they went to this guy and that guy and the other guy. And finally, uh, a guy who was doing his strength training that knew about me, he says, hey, why don't you go see Dr. Yeses? So they came over, there were like five of them, son, father, strength coach, and somebody else, oh, his coach. And we sat around and we're just talking. I said, well, just let me see how you throw. And he showed me, I knew right away what the problem was. And they sat there and they, I didn't know that. <laughs> So anyway, we went out on a field. I started working on them. I gave them exercises. Sure enough, we had a short window and he was playing ball in one month, had him fixed. He'd throw, no problem. See, just from that technique analysis. So. That's crazy. So, I mean, you must have guys from all around the world reaching out to you, wanting your help. How... How do you manage to do it from just watching through their video? I mean, are you, is it just, are you like, have you got to the point where you're just uh, fantastic at communicating different cues with guys? Like, what, what's your advice on this? All right, two things. Uh, I'm not inundated with people calling me <laughs> or seeking my advice. Uh, too many people, uh, don't understand when you tell them what I can do or what can be done, they don't believe it. Uh, but more importantly, um, we got my train of thought. I went off on another tangent. Just go with it. Go with it. No worries. So there's not a single day where someone's not reaching out to you when they know <clears throat> what you can offer them. Yeah. Well, but see, they don't reach out because they don't believe that this can be done. And, and that's kind of hard to me, that, that's amazing. I would think, you know, that, like the teams would be falling over each other, trying to get me to prevent all their injuries. Save the team millions of dollars. And no, you can't do that. So, uh, it's a matter of getting somebody who can think a little bit outside the box. Hey, we've been doing all of this stuff this way. Our athletes are not getting any better. 
injuries are still occurring, maybe we should do something differently. But we don't have people doing that. If they are, I haven't heard about them. I haven't heard of that from them or of them. Uh, yeah, it's. I, I wish I had an answer of why this is, but uh, it isn't. But anyway, in my work with them, let's say I do get somebody from uh, another country or this country, makes no difference. They send me a video. I can point out what's needed. And then I give them the fix for it. You need this exercise, that exercise, and so on. Do these exercises. Now, they do the exercise, but they don't just do it. I want them to film the exercise and send it to me. Because how you execute the exercise is critical to the development that you're going to get. So once they send me the film, I look at it, I make corrections in their execution. And, and, and Brooker, I, yeah, I've been amazed. When we talk about exercises and how they're done, how very few people execute the exercise effectively. Now, I, I wrote a book, I don't know if you're familiar, when I used to work with uh, Muslim Fitness Magazine. I was there for about maybe 20 years. And Joe Weider and I got, I got along pretty good. Um, and he liked a lot of my stuff. And I know he liked it because he stole many of my articles and put his name on it. So <laughs> you don't do that if you don't like it, um, as well as other people there. I won't mention names. Um, so I had a column called the kinesiology column. It started off as kinesiology, uh, where we would take a look at an exercise, and Weider had the ability to highlight and color the muscles and whatnot, you know. They were great pictures. And uh, I would go into uh, a detailed explanation of how it's done. And sometimes the execution took a whole page or a ha half a page, full column. The typical strength book has maybe a little paragraph. Oh, bench press, yeah, you hold the bar over here and push it up and bring it out, period. But I went to all the detail. If you go outside this, if you do this, if your elbows are not there, if you know, whatever it might be, I went into all of these instances and I said, you're not doing it effectively. It's got to be changed. So I did this for 20 years and it wound up being the uh, trainer's notebook, uh, which they put together inside of selling, which was great. But I took all these articles that I had been doing over the years, and I came up with the Biomechanics and Kinesiology of Exercise book. See, I had the Kinesiology of Exercise book for a long time, and that was a good seller. But the Biomechanics, where I expanded it and went into a little bit more detail of how biomechanics related to exercise execution, um, you know, it's not doing as well. It's the key to effective results. Most people think just give them the exercise and let them go. But if they're not doing it correctly, it's not going to do any good. In fact, it could be injurious. Give them negative results. Uh, 
So I don't know if that, this answers your question. Uh, sometimes I talk too much. You got to stop me. You're fine. <laughs> we love it. Keep going. No one wants to hear from us anyway. Keep talking. Well, okay. I don't know if I uh, answered your question there, but. Uh, no, you did. You did. Absolutely. You did. So, no. I mean, do you always seem to, to, to cycle the same sort of special specialized exercises or do you even create new ones based yeah. on what you see from different people? Yeah, I'm, I'm forever creating a new exercise. And the reason for this, see, and this is where, of all the years of doing this, see, I understand what goes on in a skill execution. And because I can understand it, when I see when somebody's doing something wrong, I say, okay, how can I duplicate that action? Of course, that's what the specialized exercise is. We have to duplicate the neuromuscular pathway. So that's the first thing. And with my background, I'm capable of doing this. So I look at it and I say, okay, Here's a movement that we could do and put it into an exercise. And then the other criteria go along with it. So, yeah, I, I keep coming up with more specialized strength exercises. The more I work with different athletes, the more I come up with these different exercises. Some, uh, many coaches now use them and I'm really gratified, you know, to see this. And that's uh, some of the specialized strength exercises that I developed for runners. See, like the knee drive, pull back, uh, uh, lunge with the knee drive. Uh, see, in each of these, it's almost like a progression of them. Uh, you do this exercise first, then you make it even more uh, suitable, do this exercise and so on. In fact, to a good extent, uh, if you follow football in San, San, San Francisco 49ers, last year they went all the way to the Super Bowl, but their line is very explosive. If you watch them, wham, they're off the line in no time. And this many people have said is the secret well, one of the reasons why they were capable of going that far. And I worked with one of the coaches there. I knew him when he was at Minnesota. Then he went to another team and then he wound up with the uh, 49ers. Uh, so I, I gave him some of these exercises. I said, why don't you do this with these guys or do that and do it this way. And they were doing it. Not all of them, I don't know how many, but I even have film clips that someone sent me showing some of the 49ers doing these exercises. They could have been doing it more effectively, but they were still doing enough to give them the results. So that's a classic example of what some of these exercises can do. It makes a big difference in your playing when you execute them correctly or even just do them. Yeah, the, uh, the concept of specialization, 
or specificity is very important. And I feel that most coaches today are in the general phase. They're doing all these general exercises, not specific. Uh, you take a look, especially your high intensity programs, which I deplore. Uh, mainly because you're only using a few exercises and you're maxing out. Why in the world, how in the world can you develop a good athlete who has to do a multitude of different things with only four or five exercises? Oh no, it develops all the muscles of the body. Yes, yeah, statically, you know, if you're doing a squat, it strengthens my back. No, it doesn't strengthen your back. Your back muscles have to undergo isometric contraction to hold the spine in place. Now, sure, you can get stronger from isometrics, but it's a poor way of getting stronger. You can get stronger with other programs. You know, concentric, eccentric, even though that should be uh, minimized a little bit. But we get on these feds of eccentrics, isometrics, and so on. And for the most part, we don't know how to do them. Like for example, eccentrics. If you're not using over 100 pounds of your maximum weight, you're not doing eccentrics. Oh, sure, you get an eccentric contraction every time you go down in a squat, but it's not overloaded. You got to go over 100%. So if you overload it, you better have two assistants with you because when you get down to the bottom, they got to hold that bar when you get out or take <laughs> some weight off <laughs> and then you come back up. Let's see so, how many coaches. Go ahead. So, so when, you, when you have someone training eccentrically, you'll have them go super maximal effort rather than sub-maximal and control the time under tension? No, time under, I don't look at time. Time is immaterial. Uh, repeat your question. I, I, I formulated two, two, two answers. Okay, so there's... There's a couple of different ways to look at doing eccentrics, right? Uh, there's a submaximal way to, do, to perform eccentrics where you perform it for multiple reps, but you increase the time under tension. So you're doing like, let's say a six second eccentric, then they come up and they'll do, let's say six reps. Whereas you're saying perform it supramaximally. So if, and, and you know, eccentrically, you can take up to what, 20% over- 50, over the 50. Five zero. Right. Okay. Okay, so please educate us. Okay, the first method that you described, yeah, it's affected to a certain degree, but you're not, you're not getting that much strength. But see, how much do we really need? See, and why do we need it? The eccentric contraction is critical to all explosive movements. It's the eccentric contraction that prepares the muscle to explode. Without the eccentric, you're spinning your wheels. You're not getting 
any explosive contraction. So if you really want to develop the eccentric component, you have to go above max. Uh, concentric max. Now, how much do we need of that? I don't know. I never really followed it up all the way. How much do we need of the other, of submaximal? I don't know. But see, what I do, especially for runners and jumpers, uh, and some other players, I incorporate all three. I think this way, kill two or three birds with one stone. Mainly because we don't know how much of each. Let's say if they're doing a uh, back squat, and we go down very, very slowly. When I say slowly, it's like one inch or two inches in one second. One. Then hold it for four, a count of four. With 150%? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a regular squat that they can usually do. Okay. Let's say they're using 80% of max. So uh, go down very, very slowly. Then count of four, hold it. There's your isometric. Then down very, very slowly. One, two, three, four, five. You know, they go down another inch or so no more than an inch. You don't want to go beyond an inch because then you're going too fast. Then hold again for four. Then go down a third time. So you've only gone down, so now you're in a, th in a quarter squat. With 80%. <laughs> but you try it and after a couple of uh, sets, or not sets, a uh, few reps, the legs are shaking. Oh yeah. They're barbecued. <laughs> <laughs> They're gone. See, so I do the eccentric, <laughs> concentric, and isometric all in one. Uh, now, goes, I, I, I like that. You know, you're, you're, you're throwing, I mean, it's like the shotgun approach. You're, you're, you're just spraying. You know what I mean? Like, and, and you're, you're going to hit the target. My, my question is, how do you, how do you, I guess... I mean, you progress it with weight. How do you how do you progress something like this? And do you do you work it up to a hundred percent? Do you work it like how? Where, where do you go? How, how do you program this? I'm more concerned with the concentric. See, this is what we're constantly trying to increase. The other two seem to fall in line. So you want to do some isometric and eccentric training, but not as a major thing. See, to me, it's a minor, even though that exercise may not seem minor. Uh, but I don't do that much of it. It's not needed. So more concentration on a concentric. And as your concentric increases, so does the eccentric and isometric. See, when you do, let's say, the exercise that, that I described, if you're now a heck of a lot stronger concentrically, you're going to get stronger eccentrically and isometrically. Now, since you mentioned that the speed of the neuromuscular contraction was important in your exercises, are you also doing like rapid eccentrics too? Or is it always super slow for the safety aspect? 
Okay, the rapid eccentrics, this is where I use plyometrics. That's what plyometrics is all about. Sure, sure. So, uh, let's say uh, forward and backward jumps. Well, if they're done quickly and explosively, uh, you're getting both. So you leap out, you gotta stop right away and push back. Leap out, boom, boom, you know, going both ways. So very quick, very fast, and it's very explosive. This is true of all, all exercises. You, you can do that more or less plyometrically. Like even a bench press, you know, athlete comes down, shove, pushes the barbell up. Barbell's off his hands. Then he catches it and boom, back up again. Catches it and boom, back up again. See, every time he's catching it, there's your deceleration, acceleration. But done explosively. See, but now most people think, oh no, you gotta let go of that barbell. You're gonna get hurt. Well, it's not for a neophyte. <laughs> this is for a bona fide high level athlete who can handle it. So, so you had said, you had said you're more concerned about the concentric than you are the eccentric isometric. And it's because if the concentric is in good shape, the eccentric and isometric will follow. Now in, in my limited time comparatively, what I've, what I've noticed is almost the opposite where if I focus more on the eccentric aspect of training, the concentric falls into place. I look at things as the eccentric is the potential, right? If you train the eccentric, you're increasing the potential of the body. But if you're training the concentric, the concentric is the realization of the potential, right? And realization, Charlie Francis, Charlie Francis utilized realization for what, maybe four to six weeks of his programming, like his maximum strength was his realization where you're sitting there and you're trying to recruit concentrically all those motor units and then it's then it dissipates right so where what what do you what are your thoughts on that all right first i gotta say one thing uh, you have to be careful when you're using anything that charlie francis did you gotta remember he had only one runner ben johnson and ben was a drug user if you're using drugs all bets are off don't tell me about training if you're using drugs. Well, she can't tell me what the drugs are doing and what the training is doing. So that's why I disregard a lot of the things that he was doing. Now, if you're going to be using drugs, then fine, do it, copy it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a mean way of putting it. But no, see, we have to look at what's real uh, and no drugs. I've had athletes come to me and, oh, they want me to tell them all about the drug use in, in, in Russia. Nah, I wouldn't do it. Don't use drugs, period. Don't come to me for, hey, what should I do? You know, tell me about it. But, but uh, so correct me if I'm wrong, aren't the drugs really just accelerating the rate of recovery so that you're able to reproduce these sort of very <clears throat> intense, very high intensity exercises over and over again without, you know, detrimental damage to the body? Or am I wrong? Oh, no, there's damage. Um, 
if, if you're on steroids, take a look at how many athletes come up with torn muscles. Like even a bodybuilder. Oh yeah, he, he tore the uh, biceps uh, off the bone. That's steroid. See, almost all sequence of steroids uh, make the muscles so strong, your body, your joint structures mm -hmm. can't handle it. Yeah, yeah. So, so going back in regards to my question with the eccentric and the concentric being the realization of the eccentric potential, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the eccentric is not the key to uh, increasing how much strength you're going to get. The eccentric is really the potential for explosive movements. It's the key to plyometrics, but not to strength training. I don't know if it makes sense. That, that, makes, that makes sense. I understand. Yeah. The, and, uh, See the uh, so that's why I don't have to do a lot of uh, eccentrics by itself. The plyometrics will develop the eccentrics mm -hmm. as you go slowly and gradually build up in intensity. Like, like for example, the depth jump. Well, the depth jump is great, uh, but it's not for beginners. You get a beginner or somebody who is not prepared, and you're going to have an injury. Yeah. Now, if you recall, when I first came out with the, this exercise, or it became popular, there were injuries galore. And of high-level athletes. Oh, man, what do you mean 30 inches? I can do 60 inches. You know, they go jumping off six. Hey, the, the plyometrics and what happens there, muscular contraction, is very, very taxing on the body. Yeah. So you have to use it very carefully. She said, that's why I don't spend time on doing more eccentrics. They have to develop the eccentrics in comparison, in conjunction with uh, the amount of height that they're using or the intensity of the movement. Uh, that develops together. So are you training the eccentric in general exercises, not plyometrics, you're training the eccentric strictly for preparation for plyometric. Well, to tell you the truth, I don't do separate training for the eccentrics. Mm -hmm. I use plyometrics for it. So I don't spend time doing the eccentric uh, work. See, I'll incorporate, like I mentioned in that one squat exercise, I'll incorporate it into some exercises, but I don't take separate time to do eccentric work. Not needed. I, I found it's not needed. Mm -hmm. so in terms of, sorry, in terms of your, your programming then, are you, are you focusing on say like you're moving the body fast, which is, you know, neurologically more difficult. And then as the session goes on, are you sort of slowing the movements down? So you maybe speed work, then plyometric, then strength? Or do you mix the plyometric as supersets due to the potentiation with strength exercises? How are you placing them in? Um, I don't do too many, I don't mix up too many different, different kinds. Uh, the session is usually devoted to one thing. 
or maybe a couple of things. Like if we're dealing with uh, explosive training, then this is usually at the beginning. I'll do the explosive training uh, at the beginning of the workout. And that's it because you don't have enough energy stores to do a prolonged workout. See, when you do imply metrics, yeah, yeah. then this is why we don't do more than 10 reps. That's it, your ADP is gone, ATP rather. So you need time to recover. And recovery time, you can see that the time period gets long and we don't have that much time. So we do X amount of explosive work, maybe the first 15 minutes, and then we might go into strength work or specialized strength work. And that would be it. Or finish up with uh, a little bit of endurance. Endurance is always at the end. But speed and explosiveness is first. Then specialized strength, then general strength, then endurance. What, what, kind, of, what kind of endurance would you do? Depending upon the athlete, typically is running. Uh, and that's mainly for the aerobic component. Okay. Anaerobic or aerobic? I didn't hear it. Both. But for most athletes, anaerobic. For sprinters, both. Would you, would you work past, would you track the heart rate? And would you work past the threshold, the anaerobic threshold? Sure. If, I, if I'm looking for anaerobic. Uh, but typically everybody, all athletes need the aerobic because that's needed for recovery. Yes. So you can't recover without the aerobic system being in place. Mm -hmm. Even when you're lifting a heavy weight, when you, when you put the weight down, you know, the athlete's you know, breathing hard. So it takes the aerobic system to hurry up and uh, recover. But the anaerobic development is only for those athletes who need it. A basketball player may need it, a sprinter may need it, uh, a runner can use a little bit of it, or let's say a football backfield runner. Uh, it de depends upon their sport and what their duties are, or responsibilities. If they have to go all out, then yes, I would include uh, higher speed running. And there again, the percentage of each uh, would vary. So you would have a sprinter perform endurance work post-exercise? Sure, but it's not really, uh, it, it, it's only for the aerobic. Mm -hmm. See, now if I wanted to get the anaerobic, that would have to move up in place. Okay. That's a special kind of training. Yes, that's, so that's, that's what that I was makes... trying to, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep, because you, I mean, you know, uh, training load compatibility, non-compatibility, and, and lactic work from, if my memory's right, it's not compatible performed after everything. It, it diminishes the returns from, uh, from, from the, other, the other training, right. Right? right? Yeah. So that's why it's just on the aerobic level. Right on. I, coach, I have, I, I, 
you know, we, we've been on for an hour and 11 minutes. I have another, I have another million questions. Hours. Yeah. I, I, we, we can ask you tons of questions. We don't want to take up too much of your time. Are, are you good for a little bit longer? Yeah. Or, you know, we can, we can always have another session. You know what? Let's, let's call it here then. I'm, I'm good calling it here. We don't want to, Brooker, do you have one last question? I got too many. But no, let's, <laughs> let's, let's call it there. Let's call it there. And yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. It's really a big pleasure. Like, you know, and we're going to have to go into your history, which is absolutely fascinating. And, you know, all of the different people that you met uh, all throughout the world, especially like Verkashansky and Bondachuk and all the translated works. And there's so many questions that we'd love to get through with you. So thank you for your time, you know. Yeah, in fact, the whole Soviet uh, system, you know, and what they do, and uh, it's really fascinating to learn more about it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it'd be good if we do another session. I, we, would, we would love Please. to have you back on, sir. Honestly. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. Awesome. I, I, I enjoy discussions like this. They're fun. Well, thank you so much. You know, oh, you're really very welcome. Good.